Welcome to the Mindful Literacy Podcast. This podcast is for teachers and parents who want to gain knowledge, perspective, and inspiration in the areas of literacy education and special education. Episode topics tend to focus on dyslexia, ADHD, literacy education, and mindful teaching. This podcast was created to build awareness for our nonprofit, Mindful Literacy Columbus. Check out the show notes to learn more and to get involved. Welcome to the Mindful Literacy Podcast. Today, we are sitting with Yakini of ADHD Love and a graduate student of mine from Otterbine, Marissa Smith. Hello. Hello, everyone. It's so good to have you both here. Uh, Marissa kind of popped into my life uh, about a month ago and um, we've just had a really great time getting to know each other and finding um, comfort and community with each other. And um, Yakini, I love all of your posts on ADHD love. It's so clear and I think really helpful of building awareness about ADHD, not only for kids, but also for uh, adults. So thank you so much for taking the energy to share your knowledge and experience and passion for ADHD. Yeah. And thank you for having me. I mean, I always love having these conversations because obviously the more awareness we put out there, I'm hoping that it'll just be normalized. So yeah. So thank you for having me. Yeah, of course. Dr. Bennett showed me your Instagram, so I'm fangirling. I love your Instagram, <laughs> and I think that all your visuals are great. I saved them in my phone and sent them to my mom and my friends, and so, yeah. It's nice to see you. Thank you. Now I know the face behind all the photographs I have saved in my phone, so thanks. <laughs> but I, I like these in-person interviews because you actually get to meet the people, right? It's just totally different when you're behind a screen and you don't know the person. So I love doing these type of face-to-face interviews. So yeah, it's nice. Yeah, absolutely. And you're a fellow Hyoana um, from Cleveland. And so it was just really nice um, to know that you're really just a short drive away and um, your, your profile on your Instagram, it pretty much discloses, Hey, I'm a mom with kids with ADHD, and I've had a late diagnosis of ADHD. And so it's just really nice, as I said, to build community and know that just because there may be, um, I guess, like exactly what you said, normalizing neurological differences and how we all process the information coming at us. So it's all good. Right. It doesn't have to be a negative. It's not, you know. A death sentence. I think it makes everybody different and it makes you better. It's a superpower. <laughs> yeah, and it's really interesting because that's one of the things I, I just don't understand. I mean, there's other, uh, you know, neurological situations like autism, for example, and people accept those aspects, but for whatever reason, they do not accept ADHD. And so that, I mean, to see what kids go through just totally breaks my heart. So yeah, so that's why I'm trying to do my part. And it depends on culture and race. I mean, as you probably know, um, you know, based on background will determine if 
you know, a particular culture like African-Americans, for example, you know, we just don't share any type of mental illness or mental illness or mental health problems, right? Or struggles. And so it is so important for people like me of color to make sure that I'm sharing my voice so that they can also know it's okay to discuss this. It's just, it's okay, right? So it's okay to know that ADHD is real and it is okay for us to talk about this out in the open. Yeah, so I, gosh, of course, because, you know, me, my brain, how it works, I have two <laughs> questions at once. So I'm trying to decide which one to ask you first, but I guess I'd like to know, and this is going off our previous um, interview that I had with Think Dyslexia, um, where she kind of brought up the same thing about um, communities may, not, may or may not know about and or accept different diagnoses. And so I'm wondering, she brought up the fact that 85% of kids who are of color have white teachers. So I'm wondering if there's any level of sensitivity that white teachers or service providers need to have if they understand that, you know, it may not be an accepted diagnosis. It may not, people may not want to be open and talk about it. So what could we do to continue to support the child and their needs. Yeah, I mean, I think the biggest thing is is to see children as a as a child regardless of race because there's also another statistic out there where it's 11% of the United States children are diagnosed with ADHD and most of them are white boys. And a lot of, and, and in another video, um, I talked with uh, Dr. Don about racial disparity. And I mean, she educated me on, on a lot of things, but the bottom line is, is that they don't see when a child um, of color, and she specifically talked about Blacks and Hispanics, um, when a child of color is acting um they have cer certain types of discipline issues, they automatically classify them as bad kids versus there might be actually something going on with their brain like they do with their white counterparts. And that's why it's just so important to see kids as kids regardless of race. And that's the biggest thing. The other thing I, I thought was really interesting, I was talking with um, Suzanne from Teaching with a Difference and I think it was her that brought up a really good point where if you just bring some of the teachings in across the board, then everybody can learn whether you're dy dyslexic or whether you have ADHD, there's some basis that all children can learn from, right? So there's some, so for example, giving them breaks every so often, like letting all of the children take a break, get up, stretch, walk around, not having them sit in their seat all the time. Like in my son's class, and actually my daughter's classes too, they are allowed to, um, like during reading time, sometimes they're allowed to just like lay out. I mean, just like, you know, sit on the floor or lay on their tummy and read. As long as they're doing very well in their reading, they allowed them to just do different things and get out of their seat. So they brought 
that to the whole class versus just people who are needing that break. You know, there's so many things that can, they can do across the board to reach all children. So it doesn't have to be just for ADHD students or just for those who have dyslexic or, or any type of diagnosis. So there are things that can work for everyone. So. Right. I think those accommodations are great for everybody and especially those kids that might be kind of like on the border or may have slipped through the cracks that don't have an advocate mm -hmm. or that don't um, have someone saying like, ooh, red flag, yeah. that maybe those things can help them and kind of like help them scoot through even if they don't get an official diagnosis, if they don't have the resources to do so, right. that it gives them kind of the flexibility to have a chance in the classroom without being an outcast, I feel like. Um, yeah. Or having to have a support system if they don't have the luxury of having that. Yeah. And then that's exactly right. So you're able to catch those students who are not, who can't afford it. I mean, it's expensive to get a diagnosis, right? First, you have to have the person recognize that there is an issue, right? So they either have to recognize it or they have to accept ADHD, period, right? So that's like the first step. And then once they do recognize it, and my understanding is that, um, you know, some teachers can't just directly say your child has ADHD, but there's just ways to bring that topic up. So, um, but once they know they should be, able, they should go to the doctor to, to get tested, a lot of them can't afford that, right? A lot of them just do not have the money or the means, like you said, to afford that. So yeah, so putting some basic things in the classroom can be very helpful. I'm glad you brought that up because that is exactly what our executive functioning conference is going to be like about this fall. And it's it's recognizing your your the mindset practice is saying, wait, even though there are some outside factors that could be causing this behavior, like lack of sleep, um, diet, um, stability issues, we're going to put a pause on that. And we're going to dive deep into the child's brain and try to understand how they're processing those outside factors and not intervene on the child's behavior, but intervene on the actual brain processing that's happening. And so all of the tools and strategies that we will learn in our conference on October 12th should help classroom teachers, special ed teachers, gifted ed teachers, parents, mm -hmm. <laughs> service providers, be able to provide that basic um, learning process that would benefit anybody, whether or not they have a diagnosis. It's almost like, oh, it's almost like classroom um, management 101, um, like advanced. Yeah. Uh, that doesn't make sense, but you know what I'm saying? Like, like upping it. your like game. Like 2.0. Yeah, 2.0. There yeah. you go. <laughs> 2021. <Yes>. Exactly. <laughs> the extension pack. I like it. <laughs> yeah, so you guys should definitely put that into uh, into process because that sounds really good. And it should be open up to, like, all school systems across the board. Yeah, And I just – I don't know. I just – it just – you know, it just, um, my, how you say it, um, mind boggles or just, it just, my mind just doesn't understand or can't grab the concept that you don't even want to see the children as 
just smart, intelligent kids that just need some different guidance that they are not put into this box, right? They're not put into the box by color. They're not put into the box by um, gender. I mean, they are just children that may need to be met where they are. And I just don't really ever grasp that people don't want to take the extra time to understand that child where they are. They would just whether, rather, you know, send them to the principal's office or um, I've read some recent horror stories where kids were still put into a corner, like they're facing the other direction. Um, one person told me that their child had a, like a board because um, the child was being very disruptive. So they put like a, it was like some type of board between him and the rest of the class. I mean, just things like that just... I just never can grasp. And you would think those children don't necessarily want to be that way, right? <laughs> so why not take the time to figure out what's going on? So yeah, I just don't understand that. Right. I feel like it's something like we give kids, you know, do this, do that, and give them all these um, things to try and yeah. for parents. But it's like us as teachers, I feel like it's so important for us to look for resources to improve our teaching mm -hmm. and to improve the way that we see the kiddos. Not like, you know, they need to go fix it, fix this at home and their parents need to do this. Right. It's like, well, maybe there's a way that we can change. And it doesn't mean that we're bad or we're not good teachers, but, you know, it's 2021. Let's change things up. And instead of it being they're not fitting into my mold, maybe you're not fitting into the mold that is in your classroom or yeah. the, um, the needs of your students. So I think that's really cool that um, both of you have um, lots of resources for teachers too, not only just the kids and their parents. Yeah. I mean, and we always talk about how it takes a, a village, right, to raise a child. And that is so true. And it took me a while to find the right community for them. So I had to move to find the right community. And when I say the right community, I mean... Um, the school system really being able to support them and to give them the basis that they need to grow. And all the teachers being on the teacher staff, I mean, even the administrative assistant knew how to interact with my child. And from kindergarten to fourth grade, had I mean, he has done a 180. And that's because as a team, they knew how to work with him. And that's why I say it does take a village, right? So having everybody on the same page, family members, um, my, you know, the sitters that I use, everybody knows how to act with, interact with my children. So that, I think that's just so important that everybody is on the same page. So. Yeah. And I'm thinking this is just such a, um, it, it it, it is about being mindful. And so, yeah, mindful literacy isn't just about reading and writing. It's about what makes up the whole child and the whole community. So being mindful about your role and how kids are responding and feeling and being able to take a step back and change. Um, I don't, I, I don't know. I like to give teachers more credit. I, I would like to think it's not because they don't want to. I usually think it's because they don't have the time, resources, or tools. And so I feel like um, as people who are doing this work, 
we have to kind of realize that we are responsible for teaching adults. And so that may not be like in the job description, but as a a steward of these kids' little hearts and minds, we are teaching adults every single day. Mm -hmm. And so I think it's, you know, up to us to figure out how to do that gently with grace and effectively. Yeah, no. And I agree with that because I put, I put the situation in three classes. It's, you know, to your point, those who want to do something, but just can't, they don't have the funding, they don't have the resources. And that is the school system that we came from before moving to this one, they were in a Montessori school. And so, and even though we paid tuition, they still didn't have the extra money to have somebody on board to really dig into my children and what was going on with them. Loved them to death, but they just didn't have the resources, so we had to leave. And then there's the class of people who do have the resources, which we moved to, and they have, I mean, a sensory room, and they're very clear about their IEPs versus 504s. They have a specialist who will go out of their way. They have a couple of specialists at the school he just left, and they go out of their way to make my child, you know, get to where he needs to be. I mean, they go absolutely out of their way. Now, I'm, I'm speaking from experience from his elementary. I have to see how middle schools and high school goes. But, um, but you know, I, it, it, hopefully it's a great representative of what I will see in the future too. And then there's this class of teachers who really just don't believe in it. <laughs> you know, just like people. I mean, they just don't believe in it. But what's interesting is you're talking about teaching the adult. Parents also have to be taught, right? They also have to be, it's like retrained and have to see their child differently. So I remember when I would join like the Facebook communities and some of the things that the parents said, even about their own children, just broke my heart. I was just like wanting to scream, <laughs> you know, through the um, through the comments, and I just I couldn't believe the things that they said and how unsupportive they were. And so again, it's like those three groups. You have those who really just don't believe in it and think it's a lazy situation or their child is all over the place. Then you have those who just don't know what to do, but they want to help. And then you have those who have the means to help. So yeah, so it just really depends on where they are. Yakini, how do you help parents on this journey of learning about ADHD and how to um, live with and prosper with ADHD? Yeah, for me, I mean, it's just, I mean, it's from parent to parent. So a lot of parents come to me and talk about specific situations, whether it's them trying to figure out how do they react to certain situations, or if their kids are going through certain situations, they ask for just some tips and tricks. And one of the things I always tell them is that, especially when you're dealing, when we're talking about your child, you have to figure out what works for them, right? So I will give them examples of what I've done with my kids. And thank goodness I have two children that they are very similar in certain ways, but how they react to things, how they approach things are very different. So I have a lot of examples (laughs) and a lot of strategies, right? So I share those things with them. 
But I remember, I always say, so these are a couple things that I have done or, or several things that I have done. But remember, you can try these and but see what really works for your child and put those strategies around that. Because again, and I also tell them that you need to have multiple tools in your toolbox because one day they are going to respond to that and then the next day <laughs> they are not, right? So, um, so I just let them know it's okay. I let them know that they're not the only one that's going through this. And I let them know that as a parent, even I had to realize this, I had to approach things differently with my children. I could not raise my children the same exact way I was raised. And I had to be okay with that. That's the way that I started. That is not what I do today. And I, and my kids are doing well. They're in the right direction. We're reaching the same goals. It doesn't mean I don't give them consequences when it's necessary. It's just about how I approach it. So I had to be trained, right? To interact with my children differently. So that's what I share with other parents. That's awesome. So what kind of strategies do you use in your own home to help your own kiddos and maybe even yourself? So as far as my kids, I mean, there's a number of things. So I talked about taking the break. So for example, homework was a very big struggle. So depending on how long homework takes, um, we do, you know, I, I usually have them do about 20 to 25 minutes of work, and then they can take about a 10 minute break, right? And they can do something that they enjoy and that's fun for them. And so, so that's one thing. Um, if we have chores like today, well, yesterday technically was a chore day, but we had a busy day. So they're doing their chores today. So in between chores, they also are allowed to take a break, right? And so they do a chore, they take a break, they do a chore, they take a break. Um, transitions, transitions, I give them, um, a, you know, like a, you know, 15 minute warning, 10 minute warning, five minute. So they know it is coming. Um, I keep their day pretty structured. So when they come home, they know to um, put their stuff away. And then they know to put all of their papers and homework on the table. And then we talk through what their homework is. They get a snack and they start their homework. They take their break. So it's a very structured day. They know exactly what they're going to do every single day. And I put it up on the refrigerator too. So then they can go and look if they ever forget, right? Or if I forget, I say, go look on the refrigerator and just see what day or what you need to do today. So there's a lot of different things that I try to put. I try to make things consistent, right? Um, so then it almost, it's like clockwork and it's almost like muscle memory. And then I try not to overwhelm them. And I mean, we just talked about the laundry, right? Doing all of the laundry at once, I have to take breaks in between. I'm not going to lie. Some days are like days, but, <laughs> but I have to take breaks in between. So I have to realize if I have to take breaks during certain things, I have to give my children that same advantage, right? So for me as a parent, uh, so those are just a few examples, but for me as a parent, like I said, I can't approach the same way that other children are approached with it by their parents. Um, so say, for example, if they're like really upset because, you know, they're losing at a game. So yesterday, my son was just like almost having a meltdown because he was losing. Before I would snap, right? Because it was just like, 
why are you yelling <laughs> about losing a game? And now I say, would you like a hug? And he's like, yes. And then, you know, I grab him, I hug him, I bring his energy down. And there's some things that we had already talked about in terms of how do we work through that? And one of the things I, you know, we talked about is if it's starting to frustrate you or get you to the point where you think you're going to be angry, switch to another game that you like to do. So yesterday, once he was able to calm down, he says, I'm going to move to another game, right? So being able to approach things differently, calmly, my energy, I'm going to tell you, my energy in this household is a lot different than it was even two, three years ago. So calm energy is just a very important thing in this household. And one thing is that I want them to feel safe. I want them to know that you are going to go through so much just as children, let alone with your ADHD brains. I want them to have a place to come to where they can just get things off of their chest. They can feel safe. We can laugh, right? Um, it used to be where they would come home and it was just like they walked through the door and tension would just rise. And yes, I understand that sometimes it's different from school than home, but it was just a different energy. I mean, it was just like anger and frustration. It was almost like walking through the door would just, just trip them. Like they would just automatically switch. And so between working together and lots of therapy, family therapy, we were able to get to a point where now when they walk through the door, they just enjoy each other. We enjoy each other. We have conversations. We play games. I mean, it's just it's just so much nicer. So bottom line is I had to retrain myself, change my energy, take control of it, and approach things differently. I approach discipline differently, consequences differently, just how I interact with them on a daily basis differently. I just don't get upset like I used to. I just, I just don't. So, yeah. So those are a few things. <laughs> those are huge things. I'm just recapping: explicit, structured, consistent practice, calm energy, safe and calm environment. Those are huge. Isn't that the kind of classrooms we want to have? I was just thinking that. Those are like, it's like tied up in a nice little bow of everything that I want my classroom to yeah. feel like. So, yeah, yeah. And it's really interesting you say that because that's when I say it takes a village, that's how the teachers feel. My son is the one that's on the IEP. Um, I haven't decided because my daughter was just recently diagnosed. I haven't decided how I want to work with the school yet, but I'm going to have a conversation with them before school starts this year. Um, but with, with all the teachers he's interacted with, that's exactly how they feel. They want him to have a safe place to come to. They want him to be able to, because another thing he has anxiety about is the social aspect. So they want him to be able to socialize with other kids without that anxiety. So they really bring a balance to the class and that has just been huge. So, yeah. I love it. I want to come to your kid's school. That sounds really cool. <laughs> you should visit. <laughs> yes. Yeah, maybe I can sit in the back. <laughs> yeah. 
Yeah. Um, I think it's really important. Go ahead. Go ahead. I'm just going to say, I think it's really important just to touch on this kind of theme of our conversation so far has been find what works for your kid and communicate it clearly with every single member of their team. Yes. So I'm thinking of a situation last year during during hybrid online school, <laughs> back to school yeah. um, for my own kindergartner who her teacher was phenomenal. She did all the things. She did all the things to make it work for her. And um, we realized somewhere along the way, you know, that the plan that was just naturally ingrained for that teacher didn't get communicated to the substitute. So then it was like, you know, I think even making sure that your, that your child's plan is in the um, substitute teacher lesson plans for your kid, just let them know that it's okay for them to lay on the floor, do downward dog, do whatever the things are that work for your child. Make sure everybody knows, and even in a contingency plan, yeah, no, that that's absolutely correct. And to your point, um, I remember something wasn't communicated to the substitute teacher, and that was the last time it wasn't communicated to the substitute teacher because my son came home so flustered. And so I reached back out to the school. And that's another thing about the school that I truly appreciate. They're not going to catch everything, right? And And that's okay. What is really good about them is when I do catch it and when I communicate it, they're willing to make that change, right? They may not always agree, but they're at least willing to try it. And so that's what I truly appreciate about um, the school that they both were in in elementary. So, um, so yeah, so that's just important, that communication piece. That's great. I was also thinking about like, how do you communicate to your kids that they are different and that they might need to be an advocate for themselves or, um, but not in a way where there's, it's like excusing that they're having ADHD brain or something like that. But how do you um, facilitate that conversation with your kids to um, normalize it not only in your house, but um, in the outside world? Yeah, so um, I would say I'm, I'm very blessed because my mother was very open about just everything, right? So it was really strange for me to see other people not as open. And so when it came to ADHD, we just talked about it. I just simply told them what ADHD was. I We um, talk about it all of the time. We um, talk about the struggles. We talk about the positive sides of it. Um, we talk about their brain, how it works a little, you know, differently. We found like, what is the strengths in my child or, uh, in my daughter, what's the strengths in my son. And we, you know, hone in on that. Um, so we just, I don't know, it's just like a, a daily open conversation and, you know, and it gives them the room to be frustrated too, because some days they say, I absolutely don't like my ADHD right? Like some days they are just flustered with what's going on. And we talk through that too. So, um, so I really empathize with people who are a little bit more closed about it. And I empathize with them for so many reasons. My children are, how do I say this? They're, 
it's kind of a balance. Like they're confident in some things and then some things they're not confident about. But the ADHD thing, they just say I have ADHD, right? Like my son was standing in the uh, in the um, bus line and he's like, yeah, I took my medication today. So it's not settled in yet, but I'm going to feel great. Later. You know, it's just like, <laughs> I mean, he's just very open about it. And I guess because he's open and he's strong in that part of himself, they just don't say anything. Like, like even my daughter, she made it sound so cool. Like she's like, yeah, I'm going to be going to a camp that focuses on those. And I think I told you this about this, Jessica, is the, uh, the new hop camp where they focus on those who have different diagnoses. And so it was really funny. I mean, she's like, yeah, I'm going to be going to this camp. And, you know, they focus on those with ADHD and then she named some others. And, you know, one of the kids says, well, how can I get into this camp? Like, can I come? You know, I mean, she just <laughs> makes it sound so cool. But she also shares her struggles. Like, you know, her 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 struggle is that she tends to, you know, we used to call it spacing out. Right. And now it's more of she her mind is going 50 miles a minute. She's literally thinking about things all at the same time that she literally just, it's almost like she, she'll walk in circles. Like she literally walks in circles, but you can see her mind processing. Right. And she'll tell people that she says, sometimes people will be talking to me and I will totally, we don't even say spaced out anymore. It's just like, I have, I'm, I'm thinking about this over here. Right. So it's just very comfortable conversation. So again, I just really empathize those who get bullied because of that. So I had somebody uh, recently talk to me about the bullying that they went through because they shared that they, or somehow the kids found out that, that they had ADHD. Um, I've talked to people who family members don't, didn't understand. Some of my, you know, some of my family members don't understand, but that's okay. Um, you know, I just don't care. Um <laughs> And then, you know, so I just really empathize with what people are going through. Yeah, I, I think it's so important for kids to be able to understand themselves. And this is a huge part of um, mindfulness is understanding yourself, understanding others and understanding where we all fit into this world. And so I think if they understand their little ADHD isms, I'll call them like, and being able to mitigate the negative self-talk that could later turn into anxiety and depression. It's sort of like, oh, yeah. there's, hello, ADHD, there it is again. What am I gonna do? Okay, get back on track. You know, I think that is right. so important for self-regulation, which by the way, is a skill that needs to be practiced explicitly for ADHD people. That's one thing I loved about being in Dr. Ben's class is it was the first time that I felt like it was okay to be me and like express to like the rest of the class that, you know, Hey, like this, it is what it is. Like I'm a little bit scattered. I told Dr. Bennett, I have like a hundred tabs up in my head right now. So I'm like sifting through trying to see, Ooh, we better click on that one and exit out of those. So it's just kind of like bringing that, um, just that it's okay. And being able to share that with, um, having Dr. Bennett being able to, um, just express that, you know, things were all over the place in her head too, that I felt like I had a home in her classroom. So it was nice. So I know the feeling. 
So Yakini, you've mentioned a couple of times the importance of strength-based um, nourishment for, for kids. I want to hear what your strengths are. What are your ADHD superpowers? Um, it's funny because I was just talking to somebody about how there's a balance, right? My strength is also my weakness. <laughs> So like I lose my stuff, like my phone, my keys, my kids are always finding them for me. Right. But I can organize an event like a major event. Right. <laughs> and be on top of it. And it turned out extremely well. I can get I wait to the last minute to do a project that I should have started, you know, three weeks ago. But I get it done in time and do it well and present it you know, the next day. Right. So it's just being able to, and it's a shame to say this, but it's like being able to live under that stress. Don't get me wrong. Sometimes it's overwhelming, but being able to handle that stress um, <laughs> and be very creative in that last minute has been a very, um, just, it's been very powerful for me. I never really thought about it before that I had these contradictions. I just, I would get so frustrated at myself. Why in the world am I waiting to the last minute? Why is it taking me? Or or like when I need to answer a simple email, right? I have to, but I have to do it in detail. And it takes me like five days to answer a simple email just because I have to include a spreadsheet. <laughs> like, why does that happen? Oh my gosh, I love what you're saying this right now. <laughs> Right? It's just the craziest thing. But when they get that spreadsheet, it's good. It is. <laughs> <laughs> it's like it has something to do with our preferred activities. It's maybe an activity you don't prefer. So you put it off and you choose an activity that you get reinforcement for sooner. I don't know. No. There's something to that internal reinforcement. I think so. I, I completely agree with that. And we talk about dopamine and we talk about, like, for example, children's screens, right? So when my son, and I think one of the frustrations he had when he was doing his homework is that there wasn't an immediate feedback, right? He would do this homework. I would work through it with him, which sometimes frustrated him. But he doesn't know until the next day if he's really getting those answers correctly anyhow. So that used to just bluster him. But when he is playing a game, he gets immediate feedback, right? He knows if he's won or lost. He knows if he does a, um, sometimes we do spelling and math on the computer and he will get his feedback right away. So those things really, I mean, he loves it, right? And it's the same thing with my daughter. And I think that's what I go through too, is the things that I don't get immediate feedback for are the things that take longer. But once I know I'm about to get feedback, I do it, right? <laughs> and I do it, I do it, and I'm staying up all night doing it, but I get it done. <laughs> so yeah, it's the craziest thing. And I talked to my, I'm very honest with it. And I talked to my boss about it. And she's like, I know I do the same exact thing. <laughs> so, I mean- so I just feel like I'm I'm glad I'm not alone. The 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 bottom line is that I produce and you know that's what their bottom line is. If I produce, they're fine with that. Um but all the steps in between for me is just not necessary. So another example, we have a lot on our plate at work. 
and there was a group that wanted us to we'll just say they they wanted us to finish this task let's say they wanted to finish it today's august 1st say if they wanted us to finish it by september 1st so they wanted us to give um updates like have certain percentages done on that task like august 15th august 20th you know so they can see progression but we don't work that way. Our minds don't work that way. We're not going to do progression. We have all these other things that we need to do. But by September 1st, we had it done, right? So it's just like, or we will have it done. But you know what I'm saying? So we had it done 100% and we were ahead of the other groups. <laughs> so it's just like, that's just how our brains work. Yeah, I feel like you can't, Sometimes putting a time limit onto a project inhibits creativity because creativity flows when it flows. And so it's not, we have to put so much creativity into a lot of what we do and you can't sometimes just force it, you know? I feel like that's part of it too. Yeah, yeah. And I definitely need the, um, how do you say it, the goal date, right? But all the steps in between, That's that should be my steps. So I just say. <laughs> Marissa, what are your ADHD superpowers? Yeah, I think I'm a last minute kind of gal too. So I find comfort in hearing that there's other last minute people too. Um, I like to say I fly by the seat of my pants. It makes me very flexible. So I like to market that part about me. I'm flexible. So it might be because I didn't have a plan ahead of time that I'm so flexible that it's not in my plan. So I'm like, oh yeah, I can do that. Okay, sure. Yeah, done. But in the back of my head, I'm like, I'm so glad they said that because I wasn't sure exactly what I was going to do, but you know, I'm cool with it. So, you know, I can change things up and yeah, laugh at it too. So, <laughs> but you know what I, I also find is when I work with other ADHD people, they change things up also. And I think that's another reason why I programmed myself to kind of wait. It never fails because my boss swears she has ADHD. She's she's so funny. But it never fell. Something may change up a little bit. And it may not come from her. It may come from the top. But it's just like, you know, as we're going through the program, it's like, well, why don't we add this? And why don't we do this? And like, why did I do all this work? So now I just kind of wait and see if I get any changes, any other feedback, and then I get it done. So that it's a combination of things. So... That's good advice. I like that. Yeah. And I'm thinking how this conversation translates back to the classroom for kids. So I feel like schools run on clocks. And I think sometimes that's a disadvantage, you know? Well, that's why the Montessori school try to set it up a little bit differently, where Obviously, there is a time frame with a Montessori school. Say, for example, they open up nine and they close at four. But in between those times, they are allowed to choose their work and there's no time limit, right? So they can do a math piece for a period of time. Um, and then when they're done, they can choose a writing piece for a period of time, right? So they choose their flow. And if they feel like they're choosing something often they may encourage them or guide them to choose something else the next day, right? But there's no time limit for that, at least from the, the Montessori school I was on the board of. And so 
that was a little bit different. But I have to say, at least for my children, just like I need a deadline, they still needed a deadline, right? Because when they had that free flowing situation, it was just, it was just too much. They just could not move to something else. And then they would get frustrated because if they tried to encourage them to move to something else, they just couldn't transition. But when we talk about consistency and schedules, when they're on a schedule, they know it's coming. And so that just worked better for their brains than just this free flowing situation. So that's, at least that was for my kids. Yeah, there has to be a balance. I think my uh, two of my kids went to a Montessori preschool as well. And I always thought it was really nice for them when they were learning new stuff, because how hard is it for us to be really into something and have to stop or somebody's trying to get your attention? Like It hurts your brain. And you're like, wait, I am at, I am about to have an epiphany here. And if I stop, I might not get it. That's exactly. Yeah. Um, Yeah. But then being on a schedule can help transitions and starting and stopping. So, yeah. Yeah. So to your point, it's a balance. Yeah. Okay. Uh, any, any last words of wisdom or encouragement for our audience, Yakini? No, I mean, I just use, I mean, it's, it's the same thing I try to share with everyone is to be patient with your children and be patient with yourself. So whether it's you that have ADHD, you don't have any kids, it's you as parents that are working with your children that have ADHD and or if you have ADHD as parents and your children have ADHD, no matter what the situation is, you've got to have patience with yourself because this is such a learning experience, right? And um, you just have to also meet your children where they are. You have to change some things sometimes and you have to be okay with that. Um, and then the biggest thing is take care of you because the journey is not always easy. Most of the time, actually, there's a, I mean, there's not most of the time, there's just a lot of difficult days until you can really get into a rhythm. So take care of you, find those moments to really take a moment and take care of you, whatever that may look like. And so that's, that's just the key. I mean, you just got to love on yourself, as I say, and um, make sure you're taking those moments because your mind will literally grow crazy when you're dealing with certain struggles when it comes to ADHD. So, so that's, that's about it. It's great advice for parents and teachers. So Mm -hmm. thank you for sharing that. If people are interested in learning more about the services you have to offer, it sounds like uh, some ADHD coaching along the way, where can they find you? Yeah, so my goal is to start up the ADHD program, the coaching program later this year. But just in general, they can find me on Instagram, um, Clubhouse, uh, um, I, 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 I try not to mention TikTok so proudly because I only have like five videos. So I'm working on that right now. But TikTok, it's going to grow. It's going to grow. And it'll have a lot of information on there too. Facebook, all at ADHD Love 2020. And then they can also reach me or see my YouTube videos. Um, and that is also YouTube ADHD Love 2020. And if they have any questions for me, awesome. they can reach out to me. 
thank you so much for taking the time to talk to us. Yeah, thank you. It was so nice to pick your brain and listen to all the good wisdom that you have to share. So thanks. Yes, thank you guys for having me. It was a lot of fun as always. Like I said, I love meeting meeting new people, especially, you know, I know we're getting more and more. We're, we're starting to see each other in person, but it's just nice to, to meet you guys in person. So this is cool. Thank you for listening to the Mindful Literacy Podcast. We are so grateful to have you as part of our community. If you enjoy this podcast, please follow, download, and share this episode. You can also like, tag, and follow Mindful Literacy Columbus on Facebook, mindful.literacy.columbus, and on Instagram, at mindful.literacy.cbus. We love creating these episodes and hearing from you. Please remember that the suggestions of our guests and hosts are for information and education only and should not be taken as actionable advice. Reference to any specific product or entity does not constitute an endorsement or recommendation by Mindful Literacy. Mindful Literacy is not liable for your decision to implement information from this podcast. May you be inspired and energized and share this love with those in your care. Until next time, may you be happy, healthy, and at peace.